Well, hey, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Hope City Church, and I am beyond excited today. This is a huge day because right now, as I am speaking, uh, we are Hope City Church, not just in one place, but in two places. And so right now, as I'm speaking, we are Hope City Church also in Shepherdsville. So they are having their first preview service. And so I just want to say hey to Shepherdsville. We love you, and uh, man, what a day. I didn't sleep very well last night. Like, I've just been excited. I've lost my voice. I've been doing a lot of Ric Flair screams this week, and like, just really excited. I've had about eight cups of coffee. There's no telling where this sermon's going to go today, Um, but man, I'm excited, and it's going to be a great day, and I, you know, today is just a preview. It's just a little taste, a little sample sample, if you will, of what God is going to do in Bullock County. Uh, through all the people who are watching right now, who are serving and are on the team and are helping to, to get this thing going, and all of you guys who have given and who are supporting and serving, I just can't wait to see what God does uh, here in South Louisville, in Bullitt County. It's just going to be amazing. One more time, can we just welcome everybody who's in Shepherdsville today? Really excited. It's going to be awesome. I want to say two things before I start. Hopefully, when you came in today, you got your sermon guide. A little piece of paper looks like this. Go ahead and grab that. We're going to be using that today. And then we are in a series called Dream Napkin. And so hopefully, if you haven't had a chance to get your Dream Napkin, or maybe your kids messed yours up, or maybe you lost it, uh, hopefully you got a napkin. If not, we'll give those to you on the way out as well. We want you to have that. Uh, That's really what this series has been about. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, okay? This past November, uh, I was reading recently about uh, Shalane Flanagan. She was the first woman uh, in 40 years, the first American woman, I should say, in 40 years to win the New York City Marathon. Anybody in the room ever run a marathon? Come on, let me see your hand if you've ever run a marathon. Yeah, not many, but a lot of smart people in the room. And, um, and, and, and so... She ran it, check this, in two hours and 26 minutes, okay? And I've, run a, I've run two half marathons, never in two hours and 26 minutes. Matter of fact, this year I ran the half marathon, and uh, one of the guys who started the full marathon lapped me and finished before I finished my half marathon. But I finished, so pumped about that. But Shalane Fanagan, uh, 40 years, she finished it in two hours and 26 minutes, first American woman to win, uh, win the marathon. In, uh, in, in 40 years, and as amazing as that accomplishment is, that's not the most impressive thing about Shalane Flanagan and her athletic career. The, the New York Times did a, a story on her and her career and dis- discovered how and, and kind of explained how that she really kind of changed the landscape of female competitive racing in the United States because up until about 2009, it was a very cutthroat sport where everyone was uh, on your own. But she decided that in Oregon, working with Coach Bowerman, she decided that she wanted to bring all the best runners together so that together they could get better. She felt like the competition would make it better. And she was obviously the best of that group, and so she was kind of the ringleader. And so from that point forward, not only has she won Uh, marathons and Olympic medals, but all 11 of the female runners who have trained with her have made the Olympics as well, and that's unheard of. And the New York Times actually coined a phrase, and that's what I wanted to share with you. They called it the Shalane effect. 
This is how they said it. They said the Shalane effect is where you serve as a rocket booster for the careers of the people who work alongside you while catapulting forward yourself, okay? So in other words, you're moving forward, but everyone who is connected to you is moving forward as well. And the New York Times quoted one of her teammates saying that Shalane has pioneered a new brand of team mom. I'm sure she was pumped about that. To these young up-and-comers with the confidence, I love this, not to tear others down to protect her place in the hierarchy. And when I read that story, I knew we had to talk about the Shalane effect when it comes to the dream napkin. Because can you imagine if there was like a Jason effect? Can you imagine if there was a Doug effect, an Adam effect? Imagine if there was an Andrea effect. That every person who was connected to your life, not only was God moving you forward, not only was God elevating your life and and, and helping your dreams to come true, but everyone who was connected to you was realizing their dreams too. That's pretty pretty, uh, amazing. So for the past two weeks, we have been in a series called Dream Now, and we've been talking about it, about God's great plans for your life. And I believe Uh, Everyone in this room, everybody watching right now, that God has amazing plans for your life. That's a bumper sticker, but it's true. It became a bumper sticker for a reason. It's a cliche for a reason because it's true. God has plans for your life, and they are incredible plans. And I believe that the closer you get to him, the more you dream. That God is a creator. He created this world. And so you cannot get closer to him and not begin to feel this creative energy, to create a future, to create a life, and to, and to chase a dream. And the Holy Spirit gets inside of you the closer you get to him. Anything's possible, and so you begin to dream. Or maybe you don't dream new dreams, but maybe old dreams come back to life that, that you had let go of. And so the first week was all about dreaming bigger, all about dreaming, dreaming bigger, that God's dream for your life is not just a better version of your current life. Hear that. Let me say it again. That when we're talking about big dreams, God's dreams for your life, we're not just talking about a better version of your current life, a better work schedule, a swimming pool in the backyard, you know. Like we're not just talking about if it could just be a little bit better. We're not just wishing for a better life. We're we're thinking big, big dreams because God wants to do exceedingly abundantly more above all that we could ask or think. And then last week we talked about the struggle of a dream. Hopefully you didn't leave too discouraged. Uh, but that, yes, we are probably dreaming too small, but we're also underestimating how hard it's going to be. And, and so hopefully this week, as you were facing some challenges, you remembered the message that you're living the dream. I actually texted one of my friends here in the church, really just throwing a massive pity party about something that was happening to me. And he just texted back, hashtag living the dream. And I said, don't you quote my sermons to me, all right? I don't, don't you do that. Don't you do that. Last week we said that God always takes us through something to get us to something. And we're never going to get where God wants us to get to without going through some things. And just because it feels like everything is going wrong doesn't mean we are in the wrong, wrong place. And so that was last week. And uh, this week I want to talk about the Shalane effect. I want to talk about the Shalane effect. Specifically how other people's dreams affect God's dream for your life. How other people's dreams affect God's dream for your life. 
When you start talking about dreams and purpose and God's will, it is really easy to to get blinders on and become a little bit self-centered. Yes, we want to know God's will for our life. Yes, we want to know God's purpose for our life, and and that is important. But sometimes when you can begin to, to search for that, you can start listening to every sermon looking for that one answer you're looking for. Or you can read every Bible verse through the lens of, I need God to answer this one thing or show me this one thing. Accidentally, you can begin when you're talking to other people, other Christians, people in the church, if you're not careful, you can begin to only be talking about yourself, what you're praying for, what you want God to do for you. If we're not careful, we could take it a step further and all of our prayers could be about God protecting us, God guiding us, God making sure our kids are in the right school, God making sure our kids have the right friends, God making sure that we have the right job, God making sure that we have the amount of money that we need. And God told us to pray about those things. There's nothing wrong with wanting to know or needing those things. But if we're not careful, this idea or this focus on what's God's dream for my life, what's God's plan for my life, what's God's purpose for my life can put blinders on. And we can forget that we are a part of a group. We're a part of a family. And we're a part of, uh, of a church. And so we don't want to get those blinders on. Because God's dream for your life always involves someone else's dream. Hear that? That God's dream for your life always involves someone else's, someone else's dream. And we're going to see that today as we pick back up with the, uh, the story of Joseph. We've been using the story of Joseph in Genesis as a backdrop, as a guide to help us as we're learning about God's dreams for our life because Joseph was a dreamer. Joseph was a dreamer, and he had a big dream for his life. But like many of us, he uh, underestimated how hard it was going to be. We looked at that last week. And so we're going to pick back up today. We're actually going to be in Genesis chapter 40. And, uh, and we're going to pick back up with his story. Last week I told you that we were going to meet two guys that he met in prison, and we are going, uh, going to do that. But I want to make sure that you know just kind of the context of the story that from the time that Joseph had his dream when he was 17 years old, that where we're going to pick up is about 11 years later. And those 11 years have been filled with so much headache and so much heartache. And, and Joseph had gotten very discouraged. He had kind of given up at least talking about it out loud on his dream was not in the place he wanted to be, but something happened. Something changed in Joseph's story that began to open up new possibilities and dominoes began to fall. And that's what we're going to look at is that thing that changed. And so while Joseph was in prison, he met two guys. And it was actually their dreams that, uh, that were the catalyst for Joseph realizing his dream. So let's look at it. Genesis chapter 40, it's on your sermon guide you got when you came in or you can follow along in the Bible if you'd like to, but Genesis chapter 40, we're going to start with verse 1 and go to verse 8. You ready? Here's what it says. It says, sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh, by the way, is the, he, he's the ruler of Egypt. Like, he's the most important person in the world, right? So they ticked him off. And he put, him in, he put him in jail. Verse 2, Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was. Coincidence? I think not. In the place of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time. And the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. Verse 5, 
while they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. Just This is not the point, but let me just stop. I don't think it's a coincidence that people who got around Joseph dreamed. Because I think when you are a dreamer, that you, that you spark dreams in other people. I want to be that kind of person. I hope you want to be that kind of person. I hope people don't get around me and, like, settle. I hope people get around me and, like, well, I mean, if he's going for more, I want more. And so I love that, like, every time somebody gets around Joseph, they start having dreams. I love that. I love that. That's not the point. Let's keep going. Okay. Um, and so where was I? Here we go. Uh, each had one dream. Uh, verse 6, when Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried? Verse 7, And he asked them. And they replied, verse 8, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. We read this last week. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied, which is interesting because he used to be so, like, jacked up on, you know, telling you what his dream meant. But now he's a little deflated. He says that's God's business. But then look at this last line. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Now let's stop reading for just a second because I want to point out that last phrase. I want to spend a little bit of time on that last phrase. Joseph looks at these two guys in prison and he says, tell me your dreams. Now, if you've been paying attention to Joseph's story, you know that pretty much for 11 years, Joseph really only ever cared about Joseph. Joseph would tell you about his dream. Joseph would tell you about what God was going to do in his life, how God was going to use him, what, what his ministry was, what, what God's path for him was. But now, 11 years later, heartache, headache, deflated, a little bit discouraged, a lot discouraged. Now Joseph does something that he has not done at any point previously in this story. He does something for the first time. That instead of telling someone else what his dream is, he asks them, what's your dream? What's your dream? What is your dream? And this is a great place to stop and to be challenged. Because how often are you interested in someone else's story? Hey, here's a question. How often do you notice if someone looks down or dejected? Joseph is paying enough attention to them that he's able to notice that something's not right with them. Are you able to notice when something's not right with somebody around you that you care about or is in your life? Would you consider yourself someone who is a dream helper? When it comes to the story of your life, are you always the hero or are you ever the helper? Right? Are, are you ever the, the helper? How many doors have you tried to open for other people? How many people can say, I am where I am because of God and they say your name? Remember, God's dream for your life is always connected to someone else's dream. Now, I, I'm going to be the first to admit that I don't know a lot about hockey. Any hockey fans in the room? Come on, let me see your hand. Yeah, let's go with three people. Y'all moved here from Canada. I don't know. Um, it's a basketball state, I guess. But I don't know a lot about hockey. I know a lot about other sports, but I, but I don't know a lot about hockey. But I did get caught up in the Stanley Cup Finals this last year. And um, that's the, for anybody that doesn't know, that's their, like, championship. And so uh, I actually listened to a podcast by a guy who lives in Washington, D.C., and he was talking about it. So I was like, well, I'll watch it. And so I watched every game of the Stanley Cup. It was really exciting. And, um, and I noticed as I was watching hockey, I noticed something about hockey that, I, that I'd never noticed in other sports. And, and none of you watch it, so I'm going to teach you something right now, okay? That in hockey, something that they do different in hockey 
is that in hockey, they uh, reward or keep the statistics of people who assist the person who makes the assist to the person who scores. Now, in every other sport, they keep up with assists. You don't have to score, but you're the person who made the pass to the person who was going to score. That's called an assist, and, and most of you know what that is. But in hockey, they give credit to the person who sets up the person who sets up the person who succeeds. It's called a secondary assist. Now, I don't know how heaven's going to work. There's probably not going to be a stat sheet. But if there is, I would love to be the secondary assist leader. I think it would be amazing. Like they print out the stat sheet, you know, and you just got it right there. It probably don't work like this, but let's just go with it for a second. They print out the sheet and the secondary assist leader, Jason Isaacs. Like I, that would be pumped because that means that not only did I set up someone to succeed, but I set up someone to succeed who set up someone to succeed. That there would somehow be like generational, like levels of people who are pursuing, pursuing their dreams. And so it has become a goal of mine. We're actually going to talk about this a little bit more next week as we celebrate 10 years, our 10-year anniversary here. But it's become a real passion of mine to try to figure out how to be a dream assist guy. I have big plans for my life. I have big dreams for this church. But I'm finding a lot more fulfillment and satisfaction in being the helper more than, than the hero. Let me just give you a couple examples of the way that we're doing this. So... It is, it's always been a passion of mine to help people plant churches, brand new churches. I've never felt a, a huge calling or passion to plant a brand new church, but I've always felt a, a calling or a passion to help people who have a passion to plant brand new churches. And let me just tell you, we're planting a campus, and it's hard. It's even harder to plant a brand new church. And so we just made a commitment 10 years ago. We are going to use our resources, our time, our energy to help people plant churches. And hundreds of thousands of dollars has been given away to do that. We've helped plant two churches here in the city of Louisville. We've helped plant churches. I say, yeah, like you, we, as you've given, not only have we given resources, but uh, training and help. And because we want to be a church that doesn't always have to be the hero. We want, we want to be able to help. Rob and Melissa McGuffey, there's another example, served as elders for such a long time here at the church. And just kept always talking about this dream in their heart about being a missionary. Really want to be a missionary. I'd love to be a missionary. And so, you know, every, pretty much every time I'd see him, I'd put my hand around his neck and be like, how's that going? Where are we at with that? Until finally we were able to help them financially and logistically to be able to, to get everything together and to get on a plane and to go to Casa Shalom in Guatemala and, and, and fully submerse themselves in the culture and to be full-time missionaries. And all of you who played a part in that, like you're, that's a secondary assist. That's an assist. Now, what's amazing is that they're going to get down there and they're going to help these children who need a fresh start to realize that God loves them and that God has great plans for their life. And so then those kids are going to chase their dreams. So what you did is you set up the person who sets up the person. It's a secondary assist. Secondary assist. Let me just tell you one more story. I was in a small group a couple years ago. Uh, there about 20 of us, and we were reading this book by Mark Batterson called All In, and, and so I was leading the group, and I said, hey, you know what would be cool is next week, why don't we all just bring a list of some dreams and some goals, and are like, you know how I get about goals, you know, just get me a goal list, and so 
So everybody just brings some back. Let's just, you know, let's share what's in our heart. And so sure enough, everybody came back. And, and, um, and so we, we just began to share some of the dreams and the goals in our heart. Now, you would think that what would get you really excited, you would think that what would get you really pumped up is getting to tell everybody about your dream. But the coolest thing began to happen when we were going around that room is I wasn't near as excited to share about my dream, but I was getting really excited to hear everybody else's dream, and something amazing began to happen. As people began to share, because everybody had three or four or five they shared, there's 20 people in the room, so we're not, we're getting 60, 80, 100 dreams, kind of, you know, it's dangerous when you start saying them out loud, right? And so they start sharing it, and, and as people are sharing it, other people are listening and realizing that they have the ability to be able to help someone else accomplish their dream. Let me give you an example. So my wife, my amazing wife, love her, Andrea, she's amazing. One of her dreams was to always be able to, she wanted to be able to sing the national anthem at a professional sports game. As soon as she says that, George Green, who was in the group, said, I know a guy at the bats place, we can set that up. And so the next August, sure enough, she was able to go out there and to sing at the bats game and be able to cross something off of her list because she said it out loud and somebody else said, hey, I'll help you figure out a way to do that. Kristen Monahan that night shared, like, I want to preach a sermon on a Sunday in front of people. I said, hey, I, I know a place you could do that. Um, so you're doing the next five for five. Get ready. And sure enough, she stood up here and she did it. And so we began to, and I've still got a list, just by the way, of like, we haven't been able to do these yet, but I remember you said that, and I'm going to figure out a way to do that. Because you never feel more alive than when you help someone else achieve their dream. I know you think the most satisfying thing that would ever happen in your life is to achieve your dream. And it's going to feel good. But to help someone else achieve, achieve their dream. So let's take inventory real quick. We're going to keep reading. But let's take inventory real quick. Okay. How much time, energy, brain space, those are very precious to us, right? How much of that time is spent setting other people up to succeed? Because there's a switch for Joseph, right? He stops talking about his dream and he starts asking, tell me your dream. What's your dream? So let's keep reading, okay? Skip over to the next chapter, chapter 41. Just to catch you up, uh, one of the guys who was with Joseph shares his dream. Joseph tells him he's going to get out of prison. He's going to go to Pharaoh. But don't forget me. Whatever you do, don't forget. Guy's like, dude, I'd never forget you. You, 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 you interpreted my dream. Like, you got me out of here. I'd never forget you. And then verse 41, uh, chapter 41, verse 1 says, two full years later, he forgot, right? He forgot. It says, two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed. Pharaoh dreamed. And this is not the point. We don't got time to stay here. But I just want to point out those first four words. Two full years later. We read the Bible and like we just turn the page and we're like, oh, next part of the story. But Joseph is sitting in this prison, sitting in this dungeon, and you know it didn't feel like two years. Two years is a long time when you know it's over in two years. But when you don't know when it's going to end, two years feels like 20 years. Right? You're sitting in the doctor's office waiting room. You don't know when they're going to call you back. 20 minutes feels like three hours, right? And so two years he's sitting here. But just because it feels like nothing's going right doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. So now Pharaoh dreams. Pharaoh dreams. Skip down to verse 14. Pharaoh, so but just to catch up, the baker says, oh, wow, I remember now. I know a guy. They go and get him. Verse 14, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from prison. Nothing about it felt quickly, but he was. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means, but I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Now Joseph's got a reputation as a dream helper. I love it. In verse 16, Joseph says, it is beyond my power to do this, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Pharaoh, verse 17, told Joseph his dream. And we don't have time to read the whole story, but Joseph tells Pharaoh that there's going to be seven years of booming economic success like they've never seen before. And those seven years are going to be followed by seven years of the worst famine economic crisis they've ever experienced before. And so God was giving him a heads up, prepare during the good times so that you can withstand the bad times. You need to hire somebody to manage this for you. And what do you know? Pharaoh looks back at Joseph and says, I can't think of anybody better for the job than you. You. 13 years. Falsely accused of crimes he didn't commit. Sold by his brothers into slavery. Sitting in dungeons. But God was working the whole time. And now this younger brother of this family that nobody knows about. God was orchestrating his steps and gets him to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I want you to be number two, the most second most important man in all the world. How did that happen? Well, first it happened because of God and God's sovereignty. It's amazing. We could preach on that. That's one of my favorite topics to preach on, but that's not today. The second way that it happened was Joseph began to ask people, what's your dream? Tell me your dream. What are you dreaming about? What's in your heart? What's happening in your head? It wasn't because of his dream. It wasn't because of his talent. It wasn't because he was popular. No, what happened was Joseph switched from being the hero to the helper. Joseph went from from talking about his dream to helping other people figure out their dreams. This is so important. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Because we live in a culture and a society that tells us to get yours, hustle, grind, build your followers, Facebook Live, build your network, build your platform. You know, come on. If you want to succeed, you got to make people care about what you're doing. But that's not what Jesus said. Matthew 20, 26, Jesus said, but among you, it will be different, different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. According to Jesus, greatness, the path to greatness is through service. It's through service. What opened the door for Joseph to fulfill his dream was figuring out how to make other people's dreams come true. So here's what I want to do. I just got a few minutes left. Here's what I want to do. I, I, wanna, I want to, to talk about these three main guys who were in the story. I heard one of the greatest uh, sermons several years ago by one of the greatest preachers in the world. His name's Jensen Franklin. And he preached a sermon and he said, on the, on the story of Joseph, and he said, everybody needs a Potiphar, everybody needs a baker, and everybody needs a pharaoh. That was the title of the sermon. Everybody needs a Potiphar, baker, and a pharaoh. And I remember, I can't remember what Andrew wants to get me at the grocery store 10 minutes later, but I can remember sermons, okay? And and he walked through these three guys, and it was unbelievable. And, and, and what he was, the point he was trying to make was everybody needs a Potiphar. We talked about that the first week. You need somebody who sees something in you and you don't see it in yourself. 
You need somebody who's gonna snatch you up at your lowest point. You need somebody who's gonna provide a place for you to figure out what's going on at a hill. Everybody needs a baker. That's a networker. That's a connector. Somebody who, who walks with you. And then you need, a, you need a pharaoh, somebody who can do for you what you can't do for yourself. Somebody who can invest in that business. Somebody who can open a door. Like, it, it was amazing, okay? So I'm not gonna preach that because I can't do it justice. But I think for where we are today, here's what I think we need to know is that if you want to fulfill God's dream for your life, you need three types of relationships in your life. You need people who are walking ahead of you. You need people who are walking with you. And you need people who are walking behind you. Ahead of you, with you, and and behind you. You need people who are ahead of you. You can call them mentors if you want. But these are people who have been where you're trying to go, people who can give you wisdom. How many people, you're like me, you just love to learn things the hard way? Come on, let me see your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know it doesn't have to be that way, right? I'm trying to figure that out myself. That there are people who are, have already learned the hard lessons, and if you'll ask them, they'll tell you. You don't have to do it that way. You need people who are ahead of you. It helps if you know them personally, but just so you know, you don't even have to know them personally. I've got some people who mentor me, and they've never even met me. Like, they mentor me from a distance. I read their books. Mark Batterson, pastor of National Community Church. Like, everybody gives me a hard time. I'm like a stalker. But, like, I, I, I'm, I'm reading his stuff. I'm following his stuff. Like, he's pouring into me. I've tried to set up lunch. I ain't got it yet. One day, God's going to send me a pharaoh. And he's going to open a door. All right? But, like, this is somebody who's really poured into my life. But I've never even met him. Somebody who's walking ahead of you. You need people who are walking with you. These would be like peers. Right? These would be people who are doing life with you, co-workers. The Bible says in Proverbs that iron sharpens iron. So it's worth pointing out that just because someone's walking with you doesn't mean that they're the right people to be walking with. And here's what I've learned about friends is I usually keep their pace. So if, if, if the people I'm closest to decide they want to get healthy, I usually start getting healthy. If, the, if they decide they're going to start saving money, I usually start saving money. If they decide they're going to go on a trip, we usually go on a trip, right? I, I keep their pace. And so I want to be with people, walking with people who are, who are maintaining or working at a pace or going towards what God has for their life so that that is happening to me. If my friends go to church, I usually go to church, right? If, God, if, if my friends are praying, I'm usually praying. And so I want to walk with people like that who want God's best for my life. But then let me give you one more. People who are behind you, people who are behind you, they need you. Just like you have someone who's ahead of you, they are looking at you in that way. Do you know, just heads up, newsflash here, do you know that there are people who are desperately praying for the things that you're complaining about? Like if they could just get what you're complaining about, and they would love for you to kind of help them navigate because you've been where they've been, just like you want somebody to help where you're going. Does that make sense to everybody? You don't need to only have people in your life who need you because that's really dangerous and that can get a little bit like needy and intoxicating, but you need people to help just like you need help. Now, let me, let, me, let me end with this, okay? Let me end with this. How do you know if you have these spiritual people in your life? Here's how you know. Look at your schedule and look at your prayer life. Look at your schedule and look at your, at your prayer life. Are you praying for anyone else's needs or dreams but yours? If God answered all your prayers today, would anybody else's life change or just yours? Are you praying for anybody else to see something big happen? Do you have a prayer list with anybody else's name on it? Because those represent the people who are behind you and walking with you that you're praying for, the needs that you're praying for 
in their life. But let's talk about schedule. Are you sacrificing and making time to meet with people who are ahead of you or behind you to get better and to make them better? Because if you want to experience God's best for your life, it's not just about you. It's about other people. So are you praying for other people? Are you sacrificing and committing time to meet with other people? Because here's what's going to happen. As you begin to pray and schedule and meet, God is going to begin to open doors that you never imagined he would open. You thought you would get where you wanted to go because you're going to beat a door down. God says, no, I'm going to connect you to some people who are going to take you where you don't even realize you need to go. Everybody wants to be a hero, but God is looking for some helpers, people with enough humility. So start helping others see, start helping others and see how God begins to open doors for you. I can't remember where this quote came from, but I think it says it perfect and it's a great way to end. If serving is beneath you, then greatness is beyond you. If serving is beneath you, Greatness is beyond you because God's dream for your life is always connected to someone else's dream. Let's pray.